is Authors Alcove, where writers learn from writers. Readers get the inside scoop, and everyone learns something. An episode comes out every Wednesday, where writers share their latest work. Every other Tuesday, where us writers get taught by such experts as editors, book cover artists, and marketing execs, and beyond. So grab a cup of coffee, and let's dive into our next book. Welcome to Authors Alcove. Today, I have a special guest. His name is Rob Bignell. I have actually had him on once before, and so I'm very excited to have him on again. He has published many books, I believe 12 in the Quick Read series, and over 55 books total. But he also works as an editor. But today, we're going to be talking about engaging dialogue. So anyway, welcome, Rob. Hey, thanks for having me back again. I appreciate it. Since the last time that we talked, I had a chance to read a little bit more of your storytelling 101, and it is so incredibly informative. So this week, I wanted to talk about engaging dialogue because that's something that I'm starting to kind of try to tweak a little bit, Mm -hmm. getting a little bit better. So I was like, you know, that's what I wanted to learn about. So that's what I'm going to interview you about. (laughs) Um, But before we get into that particular one, I believe it was called Right Engaging Natural Dialogue. Mm -hmm. What were some of the other titles of the Storytelling 101 Quick Reads? About a third of them are writing. And then another third happened to be self-publishing. And in the self-publishing series, it's uh, how to format your ebook, how to design your cover, and then how to upload it. It's like a real do-it-yourself, how-to kind of step-by-step approach to the whole process. And there's a set of three for just the paperback and a set of three for just doing an ebook. And then you can also buy them as bundled books and save a little money so you don't have to buy each individual one if you don't want. And then there's marketing ones as well. And the marketing ones really focus a lot like on an author's platform and then specifically how to do the different elements of your platform, uh, doing your website, and then how to do book readings and signings. For the writing, it's uh, dealing with plot, which we uh, talked a lot about in the last one that we had. I'm writing dialogue. And then I've got some new ones that are coming out. Um, One that's on point of view comes out December 1st. Yeah, I'm trying to release a couple every month. What I'm really doing is focusing a lot on, you know, what are the questions that people have, my my clients, what they give me. And also what I see in a lot of like Facebook groups that I'm a member of, you know, with aspiring writers and indie authors to see what kind of questions they have. Because the same things keep popping up year after year, month after month, week after week. And dialogue, of course, is one of them. So some of the future titles will be like on how to show and not tell for writing, how to create a character arc or develop your character, how to create a character. And then um, as we get over into the marketing, it'll be uh, some stuff on Amazon ads, um, how to create an email list, which social media are the best to use and how to get yourself set up on some of those. So it's kind of an expanding series, definitely tons of writing and a lot more marketing ones coming out. You have one on the first 250 words, correct? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Skip that one. Yeah. That one is the one I plan on reading next because I'm going to be starting the editing pretty soon. I'm almost done with my um, first draft. And so I think that's the part that I need to focus on very next is those first 250 words because even as I was writing them, I'm like, they're just not strong. And I just was, I finally had to move on because I knew I just Mm -hmm. was spending too much time trying to get it right. And I just could not. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Oh yeah. No, that was a, that's a good strategy because, um, 
a lot of times, you know, the story changes from how we outline it or how we envision it in our head if we don't do an outline. And uh, so sometimes if we really commit ourselves initially to those 250 words, the rest of the story then is sort of forced to fit into that round hole peg, even though the story is more a square kind of a story to use the metaphor. So that's perfectly fine to use that approach. You know, other people like that where they, they might their words down perfect. So then that way the rest of their story can flow from that. So you can do it either way, you know, whichever one works best for you. I'll be honest, I've done it both ways, depending on the story. You know, sometimes I like the story I want to tell, but I don't quite know how I want to open it yet. So let me just dive into it and get going and go back and fix them. So. So now we're going to be talking about the right, engaging, natural dialogue, and you can get that free on Kindle Unlimited. Before we start talking about what is effective dialogue, let's talk a little bit about some of the common problems. And one of them you mentioned was filler dialogue. What is filler dialogue and how can we avoid it? Sure. So filler dialogue happens to be when, well, let me back up a little bit before I define filler dialogue. So in our normal conversations that we have it's full of sort of filler things like when we say hello to each other you know goodbye sort of our greetings and usually in just natural conversation with each other we will ask people about you know what's going on like hey how are your kids doing and you know is so-and-so still in volleyball and you know that kind of thing and that's perfectly natural and good that we do that right but in a story it's not so good um i mean they always say they being you know writing gurus including myself will say well you want your story writing the way people speak to sort of match exactly how people speak in, in real life right but you can go overboard with it by including that filler stuff so you know if we're having a conversation with each other where we just like meet at the grocery store and are just passing words and saying hi none of that has any, really any conflict in it there's really no suspense or tension in it and so it's just sort of used to to fout the the but every word in your story should move your story forward right and dialogue is no different so filler dialogue is that dialogue which doesn't move the story forward but sort of matches the way people really speak in real life but um but obviously you know if people spoke that way like they did in your story in real life we'd have a really tense society <laughs> right so <laughs> That's actually one of my next yeah. points I was going to bring up is one of the statements sure. in your book that really surprised me, but actually when I thought about it, it, it is true, is mm -hmm. that fiction should not mirror actual conversations too closely. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so a lot of our conversations... Like if we were to do a transcript of this, it would be full of um, like little filler words like, ah, right? You know, the right. ones I'm using right now. And <laughs> you don't want to keep those in real life. You know, like a lot of times people will start off a sentence with the word well. Well, we answer that, right? And they're thinking about what to answer. But the more of that of words you include in your story, you actually slow the story down at all. It doesn't move the story forward to include just the word well all the time. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it works because you're trying to show the writers or the character rather is thinking about what to say so there might be a time to use it but we can overuse all of those little fillers that we have in our regular conversate conversations with each other so the other thing too is a lot of times when we write we don't 
or I'm sorry, when we talk to each other and when we converse, we don't always speak in the most grammatical way. And I'm sure if we um, actually like took a transcript of what we're saying here and then, then went and put it on a blackboard and diagrammed it all out like your English teachers made us do, right? Back in high school, we'd find that a lot of what we say is ungrammatical. But in your story, it probably needs to be grammatically correct and it needs to be very tight and sort of taut. So taut is in T-A-U-T, that kind of taut, not the taut like a teacher does. That way, your story flows smoothly and it's easy for the person to read. Another thing that kind of surprised me, because I think sometimes I try to write this in, is you mentioned that we should avoid using mannerisms. What do you mean by that and why is that important? So mannerisms, a lot of times when we speak to each other, there are certain words that we tend to overuse a lot all the time that are sort of part of our personality. TV shows sort of use this to their advantage, like especially older TV shows use this to their advantage. So you have characters like uh, Mr. Spock in Star Trek always saying fascinating, you know, right? And I'm sure you can think of all kinds of other characters from television history that have their their sort of words that they say, right? Um, and we do that too in regular life. We have things that we tend to say all the time and repeat all over and over again. So you have to be really careful about that because on one hand, you might use that to a small degree to sort of indicate who your character is and and uh, give them their own personality. But at the same time, you don't want to overdo it, um, which is what a lot of beginning writers will do because then it becomes annoying. And then you start disliking the character because they seem annoying or obnoxious through their dialogue. Because, you know, we have the same reaction as readers to characters as, you know, we do to people in real life based on the way they speak, you know, and the way they talk. And I mean, we fall in love with our characters, you know, like if you're a romance, you know, fans of romance writing talk about their um, story boyfriend or their fictional boyfriend, you know, that they like. It's that way with anything. I mean, men, they'll read the same story over and over again about the same kind of character, face hopper or a Western or an adventure or a spy flick, because they like that kind of a character. And so they come to have expectations. So you don't want to make your character obnoxious unnecessarily, right? That makes a lot of sense. My husband actually, one of his favorite series, I guess you could say, the plot, he loves what it's about. He also always mentions how the author is not a very talented writer. And part of it is because they always are repeating certain words. And so he's Mm. always like, I wish I could rewrite this so that way it was better. (laughs) Because he loves the story, but he can't get past some of the like repetitive. I think one of the words that he always jokes about is they use the word burgeoning a lot. And he's like, nobody even uses that word in real life. So why right. are you using that like repetitively throughout your entire book? But Right. Yeah. A lot of authors do that with their whole collection of works. I remember back in my mask when I was getting my master's degree and we were reading Edgar Allan Poe's work. He kept using the same word in every single story that he had. It was noticeable. It wasn't noticeable within that story, but if you read the volumes of his work and were closely analyzing them, you know, from day to day, you're like, oh, why does he keep saying this word? And that, there's some term for that. Uh, Flaubert, who I don't think is a great writer, despite that he had a, a major impact on literature, but Gustavo Flaubert had a rule that I think is really good. And he said, you should never, re- you should never use a word more than once. 
a page. And so if you repeat it again, wait until you've written a page of stuff and then you can maybe repeat the word. And so I always tell writers that don't be repetitious with your words specifically. But that's more of a craftsmanship issue than than dialogue. But I suppose in dialogue it could crop up a lot. Like those mannerisms, like the word well, if you start every sentence with the word well, you know, just show the the character thinking, then you're going overboard. So sort of the same thing. Another really good topic that you had brought up in your book is to infer thoughts and feelings rather than right. tell. Can you give an example of what you mean by this? Yeah, I wish I had my book here. I should have uh, called it up here. Wait, wait, let me do that real quick. It'll be easier if I give you an example from the book on um, how to show and not tell. Perfect. So I think the one that I used in the book was, this would be an example of telling or of exposition. So Suzanne was feeling naughty. Stop. Okay, but you could instead infer that by saying Suzanne ran a finger along his arm. So now the reader is smart enough to know what you mean, right? And it's more interesting to read the showing part, right? Well, you want to do the same thing in dialogue as well, because a lot of times what happens is uh, people will use dialogue for exposition. They know they're not supposed to have this info dump, like some encyclopedia entry explaining something. And so what they do then is stick it in the dialogue and have somebody in quotation marks explain it. But that's just as bad, right, as reading it without quotation marks. Right. So you want to do the same thing. You want to get people to infer information from the dialogue. So um, the example I think I used in the book was um, I'm feeling tired, Alvaro, Susanna said. So that's an example of telling, right? I'm feeling tired. Well, you could say it a different way. And the way you would do is just show that she's tired. So she might say something like, let's go to bed, Alvaro, as she yawned. Right. And now you know, oh yeah, she's tired. She's yawning. She wants to go to sleep right now. She doesn't want to wait. So that makes your dialogue a little more crisp and a little more exciting. It avoids that that kind of exposition. And and sure, you could probably get away with, you know, the line of I'm feeling tired of Varro if that was your only exposition that appeared in your story or your novel. But what happens is is a lot of writers tend to overuse exposition all the time in their dialogue. So the more of that you can get rid of in favor of showing and inferring, the better your dialogue will be overall. Speaking of info dumping, I don't think everybody knows what info dumping is. Do you mind yeah. just describing what that is and how people tend to yeah. use that in dialogue? And, right, why, yeah, and so, why it's distracting and why people don't like it? Yeah, well, a lot of times, um, authors have to go out and do research, right, on what they're writing about, especially if they write historical fiction or mysteries. They need to know a little bit about the crime or the historical era. So sort of in their head, they've got this idea that in order for the reader to understand what they're they're writing about, they have to explain it with a lot of detail, with all the research that they've done. Or maybe they're trying to prove that they did their research and really know what they're talking about. So uh, you might have like a murder story where a person, they were shot and left in an alley. And so the forensic detectives are there and one is talking to e each other about what happened. So one might then say, well, it was a nine millimeter bullet. And that tends to be fired by these kind of weapons. And usually if it's fired at this close of range, 
I mean, you know, then that probably would have caused this kind of injury. But since, you know, the head is still intact and it went through, you know, this, it was fired from this kind of distance. See, and that really goes overboard, right? And for one thing, it's sort of unrealistic because the other detective probably already knows that, right? I mean, otherwise he wouldn't be a forensics detective, right? We at least we hope not. Um, but the reader probably doesn't need to know it much of that either. And you could instead give that information instead of giving it in, in one huge, gigantic chunks of seven or eight, nine, ten sentences, you could instead break it up over pieces of dialogue. So instead, the one guy might say, I noticed that uh, the skull isn't blown off. And then the other guy goes, yeah, it had to have been fired from the roadway. Right. So now you're proving to the reader, yeah, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. And you're not putting it in as exposition. You're having the characters kind of think through the whole process and together reconstruct it, what's going on. And that's way better than an info dump because an info dump is just unrealistic. You know, it would be like, I don't know, if you were on the um, USS Enterprise and Captain Kirk told uh, Lieutenant Sulu, you know, engage warp drive. And then Sulu stopped and started explaining in seven or eight sentences how warp drive work. And we'd all be like, what just go to warp drive let's get to the next planet right so so tell your story get to the next planet and i know one of the things that i did when i was writing my first 250 mm -hmm. words is it was all info dumping the very first oh. because i was thinking everybody needed to know this stuff and i'm like well they right. do but they don't need to know it right away and i was listening to another podcast and they were talking about info dumping and i'm like Ooh. And so I had yeah. to, I pretty much deleted everything I had written up to right. that point because I was like, that's all info dumping. <laughs> right. Yeah. Backstory is, yeah, horrendous. And, <laughs> and, Back, info dumping is a type of a backstory that you're doing. Yeah, where you sort of tell all the characters, hey, this is the world I've created, and this is the background that you need to know. But instead, it's much better to jump into the story. The the real exceptions to that might be science fiction and fantasy. And some authors, thinking the author of Dune, can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he did a really good job of this. Instead of starting chapter one with all that background backstory, he instead created a prologue slash introduction and said this is you know the universe that we're in so you have kind of an idea of a picture of it but the beauty of his writing was you didn't have to read that introduction like most of us don't anyway right you could just go ahead and start with chapter one and jump right into it if you did reach the intro right the prologue you had a little richer idea of what was going on and then so that universe felt a little more real but uh, yeah just go ahead and jump right into the story and tell us we'll pick it up as a reader and you can include lots of little details in there i, I you know the thing with with the exposition backstory info dumping that type of thing it's usually because the writer doesn't have enough confidence in the reader and thinks the reader needs to know all that information or the other problem is the writer doesn't quite know yet what they want to write they know they want to write a story and it needs to be set in this universe or in this kind of a setting or involving these type of characters but they don't quite know yet the story they want to tell in that universe or with those characters so maybe they need to go back and spend a little more time working on the plotting of their story rather than telling us what their idea is for the story. Another thing that you had talked about in there was also you mentioned not over describing around the dialogue. What did you mean by that? 
Oh, yes, sure. There's lots of different things that can occur when you over-describe around the dialogue. Uh, So the dialogue itself, the wording that's used within the context of the story should uh, infer uh, an idea or a concept. It should infer what the character's thinking, how they're feeling about what's going on. Sometimes what writers will do is they're not sure that that written in the dialogue really conveys that. So what they then do is add extra information on after the dialogue to to describe it. A good example is when uh, a writer cracks a joke and then they have the writer laughing afterwards, right? If the reader doesn't realize that what you've written in dialogue is funny, maybe it's not funny. It needs to be rewritten, right? That's what needs to be done. So you can't force a joke because the reader will say, oh, you're laughing, but that wasn't funny. Uh, you know, they have it in the back of their head that they didn't, wasn't really that funny. Or they think these characters are weird because they think that's funny. I mean, what's, there was nothing funny about it. What are they laughing about? So you're kind of sending your readers on the, the track about what your characters are like and who they are. So um, a lot of times it's just a matter of going back and, and rewriting the dialogue or just deleting off that extra information about how that character feels or how they react to what's being spoken. Is that what you meant by a laugh track? Yes, yeah, yeah. A laugh track's an example of that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I had read that, and that was one of my questions, and I kind of skipped over that um, because it didn't seem to fit, but now I... I understand a little bit better. Right, right. We talked a lot about the pitfalls. So what would you say Mm -hmm. makes good, natural, effective dialogue? The the most important thing is it should always move the story forward. So if the dialogue doesn't move the story forward, if you read it and you go like, I don't need that sentence to understand how the story is going to unfold or it's unnecessary to resolve or or do this problem, then it probably needs to go. Now, there are some small exceptions to that. For example, in a, a long novel, sometimes you might n- include a little humorous, you know, outtake or scene just to kind of lighten the mood, right? That's, yeah, you know, Shakespeare was very famous for that. He would go and have these really heavy, dark scenes in which people are killed. And then the next scene would be, you know, a drunkard who was humorous, you know, talking foolishly. And, but that was a necessary thing to include because otherwise the play gets too heavy and too dark. And the same thing in a novel, you might do something like that. But for the most part, especially in a short story or a tightly written novel, you don't want to take your characters aside and have them start talking about stuff that's unnecessary to moving the story forward. See, if you always remember that the heart of a story is conflict, and it's about resolving that conflict and getting your character to come up with a way to, to solve that problem. And along the way, they have to solve lots of little itty bitty problems. They may have to solve a, a major internal conflict in order to solve that bigger outside problem. And so your dialogue, just like all the other words in your story, have to keep your character moving towards solving and fixing that problem. So that's what makes great dialogue. I like that you also mentioned that sometimes there is a necessary part where it moves the story forward. Right. Because I know that I have read some books that are very heavy and I actually have to set them down because it's a little bit too much as a reader. And then I really am enjoying it. It's just, I need that release of, you know, that tension. So I have to set the book down and then I come back to it a little later. And those are the Uh books that usually take me several months to finish because I may enjoy that, but I just can't 
stick with it. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's like a whole different topic than dialogue, but it, that's important because you're pacing your story and, and you don't want to overload somebody. It's like a sugar high almost, you know, like you get all your Halloween candy and eat it at that night, you know, after you get home from trick or treating, well, you're going to be really sick, you know, all night and the next day. Right. So instead you got to learn how to pace out your candy and the same thing with a writer. You got to learn how to pace out your story. So yeah, you can wham them with some gore now, but next you know section next scene you need to lighten it up a little maybe not you know with something humorous but you need to change sort of the tone a little bit and then you can keep building this back up into something that's darker or darker another thing that you mentioned makes engaging conversation is when a character has a certain uh, way of speaking and I know the example that I thought of right away when you were writing about that was Hagrid because Hagrid in Harry oh, Potter yeah. has a very unique way of speaking how can you do that effectively and how can you overdo that yeah yeah or Yoda is a great example too you know and and uh, you can make fun of him by just switching around the adverb and adjective and I'm sorry the adjective and the noun and the verb in your sense just changing around and you you're going to speak if you can kind of mimic his voice and that but Hagrid has the same thing too it's not necessary for every character but your major character should should stand so I mean if you've got a, a secretary in a story and a janitor in a story and they're very minor characters maybe just appear in a scene or two they can all sort of talk the same way right it's it your reader won't really notice that much, but your main characters should have something special about them. Um, so usually what you would do is you might give them uh, some kind of word that they say regularly. I think the Spock fascinating example, or you might give them some kind of an expression that they say over and over again. James Dean was a great actor who would do that in his films. And so in a lot of today, um, I can't remember now the darn thing that he used to say in a song, but um, John Cougar Mellencamp actually used it in a song once. You know, people knew instantly, oh yeah, that's James Dean, right? Who's doing that kind of thing. So you can kind of change also the rhythm of the way that they speak. So one character might be have very declarative you know, type sentences, and the other one might be a little more softer and more questioning in the, the rhythm of their sentence or the tone of their sentence. So just little subtle things like that. So how you go overboard, of course, is, is that's all you do is you have them always speak in a declarative sentence, or you have them always ask a question, or every, you know, paragraph has that one word, right, that they use. So, you know, you have to kind of pace it out over over time of your story so that way you're not overusing some of those different rhythms that you have in addition to that you have to be aware that sometimes the rhythm of a person's speech will change based on the situation right i mean uh, flat characters like james bond you know where he's sort of dimensional kind of a cardboard cutout character kind of a cool card cutout character but there's not much to him. He doesn't go through a lot of internal conflict. Maybe in one or two movies he does. But for the most part, it's always just I'm suave, no matter what the situation is, you know. No, if somebody could have a gun pointed at me and I'm gonna be suave and cool. Well, in a in real life, in a, obviously, and in a story that's a little more realistic, you wouldn't have your character always respond in that suave tone or the same, you know, kind of thing, right? They would always come up with a maybe a little anxious if the gun's pointing at them as compared to say when they're asking somebody a question or interrogating them might have a totally different tone then so 
I think a lot of writers just sort of naturally know how to do it with it. We've read so many books. We've seen, you know, the best movies and the best TV shows, none of the cruddy stuff that's on, you know, but the good stuff we watch and we kind of pick up sort of subconsciously, hey, this is what a great character is and this is how they speak and this is the rhythm of their speech. And we tend to kind of imitate that maybe not you know deliberately imitating it but we're we've picked on the strategies that other actors and actresses or other writers in our case are using do you mind just sharing a little bit about your history as an editor how long you've been doing it what company you work for yeah sure so i uh, own and run in uh, inventing reality editing service it's been around now since uh, about 2008 but really took off in uh, probably about 2011 or so and uh, that's when i switched it over from sort of doing contract work for corporations i used to live out in los angeles and so when the economy crashed in 2008 i was doing a lot of contract work with companies then when, when amazon released its kindle and create space started doing business around 2010 2011 i started getting a lot of inquiries from people about hey do you edit books and you know i have a pretty extensive background in literature i have a master's and bachelor's degree in english and in literature so i thought yeah sure i can do that so uh, pretty soon i started getting so much work for that that i just quit doing all the contract work didn't have to chase that at all and uh in 2011 totally switched over to doing but by about the end of 2011, switched over to totally just helping people self-publish their works, editing their stuff, doing self-publishing services as well. I don't do marketing at all, but of course, since I you know, have to do marketing for my own books and I get tons of questions from my clients about it, I do write a lot about it. So I have some experience with that as well. And what type of services do you provide? Sure. So primarily about half of my work, maybe 60% of my work is editing, editing manuscripts. So, you know, if you're a, a indie writer and you need something, uh, you know, proofread, or if you need a developmental edit, or if you need a copy edit, any of those different layers of editing, I can go ahead and take care of that for you. I do get a little editing from other, you know, sources, uh, people writing dissertations or thesis papers, um, you know, people writing short stories, some people um, writing, you know, for businesses. You know, they've got some project that's some report that needs to really be proofread. But for the most part, most of my work is actually novels and, and nonfiction manuscripts. And then for self-publishing, I do the whole work. So I can do everything from writing your blurb and author's bio to um, purchasing the ISBN for you to formatting the manuscripts into paperback and ebook form. I design covers, though some covers concepts that people have are really complex and if they do i always tell them hey you gotta go get an illustrator for that that's a little beyond my purview but if the cover is pretty simple i should be able to handle that and then i also do all the uploading of manuscripts as well to kindle it used to be create space and now it's kindle direct publishing and yet i work with some of the others as well like ingram spark uh, draft to digital smash words are pretty popular do a lot of stuff with that as well and if somebody's interested in working with you, how can they contact you? Sure. So you can just go ahead and go to uh, inventingrealityeditingservice.com. It's that, that easy. So, yeah, and if you just type in Inventing Reality Editing Service, I'll pop up everywhere. So any site you go to, if you discover me on you know Facebook or Instagram or some other social media site, there'll be a link there that will take you to my website. And 
it uh, has all my prices laid out for you in the list of all the services I offer. Awesome. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes as well. Thank you very much. I love talking to you because I feel like I'm learning. Like, even though I read Mm -hmm. this particular book, talking to you has really helped me because some of the things that you had written, I had already forgotten because I think you only remember like 20% (laughs) of what you read. But I just, I really appreciate all the wisdom. Thank you very much. And then the last question I'm going to ask you, I already asked you once before, and I'm hoping you have something new to share this time, but I'm going to ask you again. Oh, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to a not yet published author? It can, be about, di- it can be about dialogue. It can be about anything. Sure, about it all, huh? I would say you need to do three things. So, I, mean, I don't know. Does this count as three? Is it uh, point A, B, and C? Or is this going to be three separate things? I don't know. So, one, I, if you only have an hour in a day to write. All right. And sometimes finding an hour in a day is really tough for aspiring writers. You've got kids, you're married, and they've got to do family things. And, you know, you're trying to work overtime to save money to buy your house or to pay off your house. And I understand how it goes. But if you can carve out one hour a day to write, spend five to ten minutes of it um, reading guidebooks about how to write. So that way you can learn all these different things that we talked about today. And there's millions of other suggestions out there on how to how to write well. But you'll also then get to read actual examples of what people are talking about. So spend five to ten minutes reading writing guidebooks. Spend another 10 or 15 minutes at least reading great literature in your genre. So if you want to write fantasy, go out and look and see who are the best fantasy writers. I mean, you can Google in a search engine 25 best fantasy novels of all time and go ahead and just start reading them one by one and read a little bit every day because i find that reading sort of gets you in the mood to write you know if you ever have writer's block just go and read something in your genre and that and if you don't come up with a great idea from that or don't know how to move your story forward maybe you should move on to a different story but then the last thing to do is spend you know 30 to 45 minutes a day actually writing and just punching out words don't worry about if it's good or bad or if the grammar's right or wrong that will improve over time and you can always revise your work you can always go back and fix it up but if you've got nothing on your page there's nothing to revise so you know you might as well go ahead and just write and put it all together so those are those are my pieces of advice my three pieces to answer one question so great thank you so much and i'm just going to give a little plug for your quick read storytelling it really is a quick read i can finish them in about a half hour if that Mm -hmm. um and there's much good information and if you're just like i want to learn a little bit about this you can skim them either Mm -hmm. even and find the parts that you need because you have organized them so well and it's very it's very informative very quick and i definitely i be checking out a few of them a few times because you can only keep so many on kindle unlimited right but i definitely have really benefited from your stuff but anyway again thank you very much i will have the links in the show notes so you can check out those books you can check out his website if you're interested in working with him and thank Mm -hmm. you again rob i really appreciate it thank you you bet you have a good day you too Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Authors Alcove. We will be back next week on Wednesday where we will have a writer share yet another piece of work. Also, every other Tuesday, we do learn from experts such as editors, marketing execs, book cover artists, illustrators, and more. 
If you are interested in being a guest on our show, feel free to go to authorsalcove.com, go to the podcast tab, and then click on Be a Guest. If you're looking for a healed heart, hop on over to our sister podcast, Strength, Love, and Healing with Authors Alcove. You can find that on Spotify and the Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a great day.